my name is Chris, by the way, for anybody that doesn't know that, that I haven't met. Hi. Happy couple days after Halloween. If you celebrate Halloween, if you hate Halloween, forget I said that. If you're anti-Halloween, what's that? It was ruined by the rain or what? Yeah. We went to, we didn't go, anybody go trick-or-treating in the rain? Without an umbrella? Look at you guys. The few, the proud, the committed. Yeah, we went, my boys and I, we went to uh, the Nazarene Church. They have their big old festival thing. They do trunk or treat. And yeah, it was wet. There was, there was a lot of moisture. My, my hoodie is still drying out, I think. But yeah. Hey, what? What were some of your favorite Halloween costumes growing up? Think back, or maybe like, maybe kids did this recently, but what were some of you for Halloween, either recently or, or maybe over the past? I was, that actually does relate to where we're going this morning, and I'm curious to hear, yeah. An army guy for 20 years in a row. An army guy, like one of the green Toy Story toy army guys? Like, like one of the army guys like from the Toy Story? Yeah. That's awesome. See, <laughs> yeah, that's rad. For 20 years in a row, that's, that's like steadfast. <laughs> that's committed. Somebody else? Come on. What were you guys for Halloween? Larry, a music teacher. So, I, I, that was just a football game in the race. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're epic. Strider? Ah, okay. Yeah. The Ranger, Aragorn. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Great job. They, they think you're epic. You are. That's, that's an awesome person to be. Somebody from this side. Yeah. Callie, right? Say the names again. Bob Ross and uh-huh. uh huh. Oh, a, I get it. That's awesome. Yeah, Bree, what were you? Yeah. <laughs> you can't make stuff like that up, huh? That's so, that's too good. Yeah, what were you, Tracy? She was pussy boots. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, <laughs> master. Awesome. Puss in Boots, that's a good one. Puss in Boots finally got his own movie. I don't know how it went over, but he did get his own movie. Uh huh, Antonio Banderas. Yeah, I remember, yeah, Scott, what were you? Max, what? Who? Yeah. I don't know him. 
I was, I'm only 32, Scott. I was born in the 1980s. Remember the 80s, you guys? <laughs> I missed it by four years. Yeah, you guys remember the 80s? I was, some of my favorites, I was an iPod classic one year. It was fun, just all black, black beanie, black shoes, black pants, black shirt with a cardboard thing with like a song on it, but you know, there's no such thing as an iPod classic anymore. Moment of silence, um, doesn't exist. I gotta tell you this story real quick about Halloween. So in China, for those of you that don't know, I lived in China for five years, and they don't do Halloween really in China. They're starting to, but they, I, they just, it's not a thing you do. You don't trick or treat or anything like that. But me and two of my best buddies had these full-blown Spider-Man suits. Like, they were pretty legit-looking Spider-Man suits, and we could not resist having an excuse to put them on. This was very culturally insensitive of us to go out and celebrate Halloween when they don't celebrate Halloween, but we could not resist. And so I think it was just me and one of them. I think one of, it was me and my friend Matt. We put these Spider-Man suits on, and we would just walk up and down the streets. Like, the Chinese had no idea it really even was Halloween, so they have no idea why we're doing this. But I remember thinking, this is a great opportunity to show off some of my Spidey skills. So our street was lined with restaurants. Oh man, I feel so bad for this girl. I need to like go back, track her down, and get her counseling. So here's what happened. I'm decked out in a Spider-Man costume, head to toe. And I decided we we're gonna go into this restaurant. I wanted to make a Spidey entrance. Alright? So I I walk up to the steps, there are these steps that lead up to the doorway. And I run in, and I do this huge, and I don't know if I'm going to mess up my microphone, but I do this very, like, like huge, like, Spidey-type entrance into the restaurant. And this girl, this server, is walking by, and she obviously feels the force of my entrance. She looks over. She's carrying a tray of food, and I think she threw it. She let out a blood-curdling scream. She's like, and throws it and runs and dives, literally dives behind a table and like sits there shuddering like it was Columbine or something. Like seriously, it was that she was, and I was like, um, there's no way I can hit rewind now. <laughs> and so I just kind of like loosened up my posture and looked at her and I was like, and I turned and walked out. But I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, um, let's revisit how we do uh, Halloween in China. I could still just picture her just diving, like literally just <coughs> run, boom, diving, just shuddering behind the table. I was like, oh, that was really, really bad. Um, Jesus loves you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what to do with that. But I think, I think Halloween, I don't know, I have a hunch that maybe, maybe the things we dress up as in Halloween, maybe they give us a little insight into to something in our hearts. Have you ever thought about that? Like, and so it started, started asking this question, what was Jesus? What would Jesus have been for Halloween? I started wondering about that. What would Jesus have been for Halloween? And then the answer came to me. And I'll tell you later. But the story came to me, and I was like, you know what? I think we need to spend some time in this story. We've been talking over the last few weeks about brilliance and beauty, the life and the personality of Jesus. Last 
Bruce is asking, how do you think, how do you feel about the projector right there? Right in that moment, I did not like it. Um, we've been talking about the life and personality of Jesus, the reality that Jesus wasn't just a historical figure. He was, and we need to keep that in mind, that he lived in his context, but Jesus wasn't just somebody that came to die. He's somebody that came to live. There was a reason that he did what he did. He had a personality. He had a brilliance and a beauty and a wisdom about him. What we're trying to do, I guess, for me, the thing I realize is that I would always read the Bible like you read an encyclopedia or a textbook. And I thought, but wait a minute, this is real life stuff. What would happen if we started reading the Bible like we read a novel, where you're reading the story of Jesus and you imagine the smells and the emotions and the things going on? How often do we come to the Gospels in that way and read them as if they really happened in color, in 3D, in real life? And so what if we went back to the Gospels and said, what can we learn not about Jesus in terms of truth or theology, but about him as a person that wants to be known and loved and related to. That's what we've been doing. We've gone a lot of fun places. Last week we talked about John 13. That was last week, right? About the way Jesus revealed his glory. For those of you that missed it, here's a Cliff's Notes recap. In John chapter 1, the author of the Gospel of John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the one and only Son sent from the Father. We beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And in John chapter 13, Jesus steps out of a scenario, and it tells us that he has just been glorified. And what Jesus was stepping out of was the moment when he's sitting with his disciples, he takes off his outer garment, he strips down to his undershirt, puts on a towel, and he gets down and washes every single one of their feet, including Judas, who he knew was about to betray him. And it's this tender, intimate, non-sensual, it's the most, it is the epitome of humility that Jesus expresses. And it's the way that Jesus shows his power. And we talked about how Jesus learned to wash feet from the best, because Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus learned to wash feet from his Father. And we like to talk about God as omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God can do anything. God is mighty. But we don't often equate mightiness with washing feet, do we? Jesus says, you want to know what God's mightiness is? It's scrubbing the grime out of in between the disciples' toes. It says that's where we saw his glory. And what I didn't get to mention last week, last thing and then we'll move forward, but the word glory, I had us think for a few minutes about, I had us picture glory for a minute. And we think often about bright lights and we think about this brilliance and beauty and shiny things, right? But the word glory in the Gospels, really what it connotes is someone's essential nature and character. Glory is really the essence of someone. If, you, if you're seeing their glory, what they mean is you're seeing the essence of who they are. And what it seems to be telling us in the Gospel of John is that the essence of God is a God that comes down and serves us by washing our grimy feet. And that just starts messing with our categories and paradigms, doesn't it? So we've been talking about, you know, little simple lighthearted things like that. I don't know about the husbands, but there was a challenge in in there for me to step it up in terms of how I serve my family. And there's a challenge in there for all of us, because Jesus didn't just say, go, well, he did this, but then he said, you 
are called to go and do likewise. And last thing that I thought was important, it was an insight for me, was that the reality that serving people leads to a sense of entitlement when we aren't empowering them as well. So it's not just about serving people because that's when we lead, come to this entitled generation, but it's about serving people and empowering them to serve others. And when one of those things is missing, then all of a sudden we have entitled people that think life is about them. So I learned a lot from Jesus last week in his example in, in John 13. And for this week, yeah, I'm going to be really honest with you. I have, n- okay, I have this much of an idea, but I really don't know what I'm supposed to say yet about this passage. All I have is a passage, a story that Jesus brought me to that I felt like he wants to speak to us through. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it up here. I'm going to read it. And remember, this is somewhat in the context of what would Jesus be for Halloween. And we're going to read this together, and instead of me talking immediately, I want you to just think through, what does this say to you? Can we just let the text speak for a few minutes? It's good at that, isn't it? So that's what we're going to do. So I'll read this, and then we'll go to the second half of it, and then we'll just take a few minutes to reflect. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Forgive me if I'm standing in your way. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. You sense some drama brewing, don't you? But supposing him to be in the group, they went an entire day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days. Think about that for a minute. We thought we lost Zachary for about seven minutes one time. It felt like an eternity. Remember that? Avila Beach? Oh man, I've never known panic like that. And that was seven minutes. And Mary and Joseph thought they lost the Son of God. They began to search for him. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Three days later, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. A 12-year-old. Do you have any 12-year-olds in here right now? We have somebody that just turned 13. (laughs) Johnny's shaking his head. So we're talking younger than Johnny Fry. Sitting in the temple, listening to the teachers and asking them questions. Go ahead and go to the next part of it. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding of his answers. He's 12 years old. And when his parents saw him, they were furious, I'm sure. (laughs) But Luke decided to use the term astonished. (laughs) The Greek means really, really angry, but we can't say that because he's Jesus? No. Um, They were astonished. And his mother says to him, I'm sure completely emotionless, right? (laughs) Without emotion, hey, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, right. See, 
The Greek language does not have exclamation marks. They do not have punctuation. So the translators decided to put a period in there. Yeah, right. That's encyclopedia Bible. That's not novel Bible. <laughs> Mothers, would there be any angst in you? Right? So Mary says to him, are you crazy? <laughs> right? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Why have you been, <laughs> that's right. Why have you been treating, Why have you been treating us so? Yeah, right. Behold, your father and I, we've been searching for you in great distress. You're making me lose my mind, boy. <laughs> Where's my belt? And he said to them, look at this response. Look at this. Why are you looking for me? <laughs> you silly gooses. Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And you could almost put a duh in there. Doesn't it have that sense to you? It's almost like Jesus is like, duh, mom. Duh, dad. Don't you know that I must be in my Father's house. We're going to come back to the wording there because that's potent. I must be in my Father's house. And they did not understand what he was saying to them. It seemed pretty clear to us, but they didn't get it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus, the boy Jesus, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So go ahead and read over this again. We don't have a way to put both of them up there, but can we go back to the first part just for a minute or two? Just, just look over these words, and, and I'm going to do this. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us what you want to say through this story? I could try to give a message that covers all my bases, but that would be one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. That's a lot of bases. But Holy Spirit, you have things you want to say to us through this text. So would you highlight a word for us, a phrase, a feeling, an emotion, a, a piece of the scenario? Would you help us to see ourselves in this and see Jesus in a new way? Give us light, Holy Spirit, into this story and into our lives. Can we go to the next section?
Let's do this. Let's start with just a word at a time, or at, at most a sentence. Let's, let's keep it to at maximum a sentence. What strikes you? Let's hear from some people. As you, as you look at this story, 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, give us, if you can just give us one word that leaps out to you, great. If you can give us a sentence, but no more than one sentence. What, what strikes you? Gay Scott. Three days, Father's house. Somebody else, Pamela. Transitioning. Transitioning. Hmm. Okay. Torah. Hmm. They're amazed by Torah. Yeah. And by the way, in Jewish culture, transition to adulthood happened around the age of 13. He's right on the cusp of adulthood. Yeah, Mike Fry. Say that one more time. I want to make sure that I'm tracking with you. You're Mike Fry, so of course I believe you, but I want to make sure I get what you're saying. Expectations. Okay. Yeah, Aaron. Family. Hmm. This is the first time that I can remember, that I know of, that anybody, notice this. They did not, verse 50, they did not understand what Jesus was saying to them. Who before this had ever referred to Yahweh, to Jehovah, as their Abba, as their Father? So they're probably thinking, wait, 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 he can't be doing that. So what is he saying? Yeah, so family, there's, there's something, there's a lot of family things going on in here. There's a lot of family things. Phil. Forty-five minutes? Dude, you're way worse parents than me.
he has the spiritual maturity to know something profound about his identity, but he doesn't have the emotional or relational maturity to communicate with his parents. Isn't that fascinating? That juxtaposition there? What's that? He was thinking like a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus actually, when he was 12, was actually 12. What? <laughs> yeah, Natalie. See, that is something that grabbed me as well. Last week we talked about Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. And what he saw the Father doing was washing feet. So Jesus washes feet. Apparently, you know what else Jesus saw the Father doing? Submitting. The Son of God, the one that was there from the beginning with the Father and the Holy Spirit, at the beginning of creation, the one that architected the cosmos, submitted himself to the kind of people that could lose him for three days. Submitted himself to them for 18 years. 18 years. To whatever they asked of him, which meant for him being a carpenter, holding down the fort, loving on, hopefully, his brothers and sisters, right? Being there for his family. For 18 years, he's holding on to this calling, yet he's letting it lie dormant because he is submitted to Mary and Joseph and his family's expectations for him. Wow, now that could preach, but it's not the kind of message any of us would like to hear. We'll, we'll go there sometime, but there's a lot of family dynamics going on here, and, and I'll unpack a little bit of them in a few minutes. Yeah, David. Kind of a, almost a, not like a slap in Joseph's face, but like making it very clear, like you're just stepdad. Huh. Yeah. I've never been a stepdad, but I have a stepdad. And there's a lot of dynamics going on there, huh? And one thing that's very interesting to notice as well, where after this story do we ever hear Joseph referred to again? A lot of people believe that Joseph passed away not too long after this time. This is the last mention of Joseph in the Gospels. And obviously there's a lot of things that go unsaid in the Gospels because the next time we're introduced, Jesus is 30 years old. But Joseph's no longer in the picture at that point, is he? And so there's a sense in which you could, you could venture to say that Jesus knows what it's like to lose an earthly parent at a young age. That Jesus can even relate to us in that. There's so much happening here, isn't there? There's so much happening here. Adam, did you have your hand up? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure about the story of Jesus Christ. Hmm. I mean, I think when you ask 
that's a huge insight. Yeah. Oh man, that's, we're going to go there into that specific thing one Sunday morning of just why would Jesus spend so much time asking questions instead of just giving answers? The fountain of all truth submits himself to our understanding of things and really wants to know it. Why? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Adam. Yeah, I saw a couple other... Um, sorry, remind me your name? Donna, okay, Donna. Almost like an abduction, right? Like a tractor beam. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a bug zapper. <laughs> sorry, maybe that's... My picture, not yours, but yeah, yeah. The sense of draw, the sense of desire in Jesus' heart is like, don't go towards the light, right? It's, what is that, Nemo? Is that the, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, you watch a lot of kids' movies when you are at my maturity level, I mean, and you have kids. Uh, yeah, thank you, Donna. There's another, uh, yeah, Al, you got one sentence for us? A couple more, and then, yeah, we could do this all day. We need longer times, don't we? Because, yeah, there's just so much. But who, so who were those hands? Yeah. Let's hear from people that haven't shared yet. So, yeah, Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's, it's, Betsy, hold on one second, because I want to I wanna say this. I'm, I'm taking a class about pastoral counseling and family systems right now fascinating, fascinating stuff. I know we have some people that are um, marriage and family therapists and have done a lot of study in this, but over the last 50 years, therapists and counselors have started discovering that one of the things that dictates someone's health within their family functioning has, to, has everything to do with distance, but for the longest time, we've thought it was the wrong kind of distance, if that makes sense. And what I mean is, we often assume that when we're trying to, like, you know, the Bible says that the two will become one flesh and you need to leave and cleave and all these things. And there's a sense in which we often associate that with physical distance, right? Moving into a new house or moving to a new place or moving to a new state or whatever. And we often do that in our lives to try to get that distance. So we think that the distance, the, our individuality emerging has to do with physicality or geography. But what you find, I mean, for those of you, has anybody ever lived, like, even all the way across the country? from your parents, and you've had a few months even of maybe no contact, and you think, oh, I'm so far away, and this is so good to get some space, right? And then one phone call, or one letter, or one email, and all of a sudden, it triggers you just like you're right there in your old bedroom as a 10-year-old, right? Who hasn't had that happen? And you realize, wait a minute, maybe physical distance, maybe geographical distance isn't the thing that brings me into my unique calling and identity. It's about emotional distance, a healthy emotional distance. And if you can get, and what Jesus got, what Jesus understood, that we're still trying to grapple with and figure out today is that it's not, identity is not an issue of physicality or of physical distance. It's an issue of emotional distance. You can be living in your parents' basement and have a healthy emotional distance to where your parents can't trigger you or manipulate you or, or whatever it is. And you can be living across the world and you get one phone call a year and it can send you into a tailspin for a month. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
And Jesus got that. And that's what blows my mind, that he was able to submit himself to them for 18 years because he knew who he was. I think that's one of the things that sticks out to me the most in this story. Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was so utterly clear about who he was. In John 13, the reason that he washed the disciples' feet, it says that he knew where he had come from and where he was going. Therefore, he got down and he washed their feet. And I don't know about you guys, but if I have to figure out who I'm going to follow, I would choose the person that most clearly knows where they're going. Wouldn't you? All right, you got door number one, door number two, door number three. This guy's not really sure. (laughs) This guy is trying to be everything that his family wants him to be. This guy is trying to be everything society wants him to be. And this guy is deeply aware of who he is, yet is still connected to the people that love him. I'll take door number four. Jesus got that even as a 12-year-old. And I have a lot to learn, I'm realizing. Eighteen years he submitted himself to them. He said, all right, you want me to learn the family trade? I'm going to learn the family trade. I'm in. But I know that one day there will become a time when I'm going to step out and live out of this relationship that I know in my father's house. Now, can I point out one more thing? Well, Betsy, I'll let you interject, and then I have just one more thing I want to say. So you had your hand up. I want to hear it. I never made that connection with the three days and three days, but now it's like, duh. It's like when you hear a riddle, and then you hear the answer, and you're like, how did I not see that before? Yeah. Yeah, there's obviously, yeah, good connection. Thank you. Yeah, see, and I like that you use the word foreshadowing. This is the thing that came to me this morning. I was like, Jesus, why this story? I couldn't shake it. Like, I, I had other things that I would much... I had other directions I had thought about going that would have been easier on me because there are things that I could just talk about either out of experience or things that I just, there were other things that would have been easier for me to prepare, but Jesus wouldn't let me detach from this story. I felt like there's something in this story that we needed to to sit in and see. But then as I was praying into it, I realized that it wasn't all for this morning, but that Jesus wants to kind of give us a little insight into where the Father and him and the Holy Spirit want to take us as a community over the next few months. And let me show you what I mean by that. That's, she said foreshadowing. There's some foreshadowing going on here for us as a community. Now, go back to the next section real quick, Cam. Look at this real quick. Did you not know that I must, must is a strong word, isn't it? Be in my Father's house. We're going to spend the next few weeks, we're going to spend the rest of November talking about this beauty and brilliance. There's more things that Jesus wants us to see to bring him more into full color and and three dimension in our lives. But in December, as we were praying and talking as a board a few days ago, the, the sense that we had was that God wants to take us a little bit deeper into our sense of identity as individuals. There are things that God wants to reveal to us about ourselves through this identity journey. 
that we're going to get started just for a few weeks, and then we'll kind of see where to go from there. But, but often, I just want to point this out in terms of foreshadowing. Think about how Jesus frames his understanding of identity in this statement. I must be in my Father's house. How often, when we talk about identity in the West, especially in the United States, we talk about it in terms of what we're going to do, don't we? We talk about it in terms of what we're going to produce. We talk about calling and vocation in terms of our activities, our actions. We say, what do you want to do when you grow up? All right? But Jesus says, I must be, first of all, my primary vocation is to be aware of who I am and to carve out my sense of calling based on who God has made me to be, that transcends what I do. And then the second piece of that, just as beautiful, in my Father's house, Jesus understood his identity not in isolation, and not in terms of what he produced, or who he healed, or how he operated, but he understood his identity in terms of who he belonged to and who he did life with. And I think that's one of the shifts that, it's a shift I'm going through, and maybe that's a shift that Jesus is potentially going to take us through. Have you ever really thought about the fact that what you're doing is less a determinant of your level of fulfillment than who you're doing it with? Should I say that again with better grammar? We often think that our primary sense of fulfillment is going to come through how we spend our time, don't we? What we're going to do with our lives, meaningful activities. But what we find is that the deeper indicator of fulfillment has to do with with whom we do those activities. That identity and fulfillment and calling maybe have less to do with our actions and more to do with our community with who we belong to. You could do something really trivial, and if you're with people you love, there's life in it, right? Or you could do the most amazing thing on the planet and be like, wow, this feels so empty. Hello, hello, hello. And Jesus is trying to recalibrate our sense of identity around being and belonging, and then doing. And that's something that I'm really excited to get schooled in by him. You guys understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And then the last thing, this is somewhere else that we're going to go soon. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Now there's four components here that Jesus, that Luke addresses, and it's beautiful. It aligns perfectly with something else that Jesus says when he's asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments. And he says, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Physically, emotionally and socially, mentally and spiritually. Jesus grew in all of those areas and he wants to take us on a journey to grow in those areas as well. And 
I'm really excited about that. We're going to go on an identity journey where we tap into a deep sense of values about what drives us, of our emotional well-being, of our social sense of belonging. We're going to revisit community a little bit. Look at physically. How do we, what, is, what does physicality have to do with how God wired us? What does God have to say? What does it look like to love the Lord with all your strength, with all your physicality? What does that mean? What does it look like to grow in favor with God and man? Now, that's a theologically loaded statement, to grow in favor with God. <laughs> Don't start deconstructing it too much right now. But there's just so much here that Jesus wants us to dive into. But I think, for me, I think a huge place for us to land is, did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? That everything I do is going to be centered in my sense of self-identity, self-understanding, and belonging to my Father. That everything else is going to flow out of that. The sense I have for us, my prayer for us, is that we would let the Holy Spirit take us on a ride of going deeper into this journey of healing where it needs to be healed and developing where it needs to be developed. Our sense of understanding of ourselves and our sense of understanding of belongingness to God and who this God is to whom we belong. And Nathan is excited. And I don't care if he's the only one, because we're doing it anyways. <laughs> Thanks, baby boy. That was perfect timing. I told him to do that. We rehearsed that. Twelve-year-old um, Jesus, rocking our worlds, his parents sit there astonished at him. I'm astonished by Jesus. Anybody else? Just astonished by Jesus. Look at you. How do you do it? And he's like, well, that's why I invite you to follow me, because I want to show you. I don't want to keep all the secrets to myself. So let's go for a ride. I love it. Really quick, John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt Another word to say dwelt is tabernacled among us. Later in that chapter, the disciples come behind Jesus after John the Baptist has said, hey, you, are you the one? They say, where are you going, Rabbi? And actually they say, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? Where are you tabernacling? And he says, hey, my father's house. You want to experience it for yourself? Come, follow me. That's the sense that I have that Jesus is kind of summoning us this morning to say, hey, let's, let's continue this journey together. Come and follow me. Do you want to experience for yourself the sense of belonging and identity that I experienced in my father's house? Do you want it, he says. And I'm like, more than anything in the world.